I'm so happy to be with you this morning because we are going to continue our ongoing quest for enlightenment by exploring the remarkable story of Philip the Evangelist and an Ethiopian eunuch. This lesson from Acts 8 shows how God used Philip to lead the eunuch out of the dim light of the old law of rules and regulations into the full light of the gospel of Jesus, a new law of love and universality. As Isaiah foretold, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And Matthew confirmed, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Upon them a light dawned. Last week, we discussed the great light brought to the world through the Ten Commandments. When the Israelites were fleeing from generations of enslavement in Egypt into an unknown future, God supernaturally provided direction, food, and water. More importantly, he gave them the Ten Commandments to establish a framework and guide as they went forth to find a new land and establish a new nation, a new government, and a renewed religion. The law he gave them was a giant step forward out of darkness and into more light. It gave them a blueprint for governance and justice, which is still valid today. It was also designed to keep them pure and preserve them as a holy and set-apart people because God had chosen them to bring forth the Messiah who would redeem all mankind. About 400 years after the Exodus, Solomon was king of Israel, and the country of Ethiopia was called Sheba. The queen of Sheba, hearing of Solomon's legendary wisdom, wanted to meet him and judge for herself. She made the long and arduous journey to Israel, where Solomon made her welcome. While a guest at Solomon's court, she found that his court and his wisdom exceeded all she had heard. She stayed for a long visit before she returned home. Written in the official book of Ethiopian history is that the queen gave birth to a son after her return, and this son of Solomon became Ethiopia's first important emperor. There is a long tradition of worshiping the God of Israel in that country, and we know it was the official religion of Ethiopia when this story takes place. The evangelist Philip was an active and important man in the early Christian church. Within months of Jesus' crucifixion, the church was already organizing in Jerusalem, and Philip was one of the first seven deacons. Then came the scattering of the church due to intense persecution by Saul, which sent Philip away from Jerusalem to Samaria. There he preached the gospel of Jesus in a land and to a people that had been bitter enemies of the Jews for centuries. He was a powerful speaker, full of the Holy Spirit, and many Samaritans were being converted and healed. In the midst of all this success, the Holy Spirit directed Philip to go to Gaza, he went. The eunuch, highly educated and intelligent, was powerful and well-respected in his country. In fact, he was in charge of the queen's treasury. He was also a devout man, a non-Israelite that worshipped the God of Israel. Being a seeker after truth, he had traveled a great distance in its pursuit with his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Just like us, this man was seeking light. He was worshiping the one true God, and he was familiar with Judaism and the scriptures. He was prepared in important ways to receive the gospel message. 
When our story opens, he is at the end of his pilgrimage, passing through Gaza on his way home. Philip arrives and approaches the Ethiopian, who was in his chariot reading scripture aloud. And what was he reading? He was reading Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, and he was confused. Who was this man? What did it mean? I doubt this would have fit his vision of the Messiah. Probably his vision of the Messiah was a conqueror, liberator, king, powerful in earthly ways, which was also pretty much the common view of the Israelites. Philip offered to explain, and the grateful eunuch invited him into the chariot, where Philip used these verses as his starting point to share the gospel. Philip had much to share. The coming of Jesus is foretold in the Old Testament in minute detail. His lineage, his nature, his birthplace, where he would grow up, his career and purpose, and specifics about his death and his resurrection. These prophecies were all made hundreds of years before his birth and before crucifixion had even been invented. As Philip shared the gospel, the eunuch accepted his message of salvation wholeheartedly. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he says. What could keep me from being baptized? Philip baptized the eunuch, and when they came up out of the water, they parted company. The joyful eunuch went on his way home, where tradition has it that he was the first evangelist of Ethiopia. Philip was caught up by the Holy Spirit and was found at Azotus, where he continued on his mission. The Ten Commandments and the new law of grace through Jesus Christ were both an expression of God's love and care for his people. But the differences between them are profound. The Apostle John wrote, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Jesus Christ to die. And however many are the promises of God, their yes is in Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments were given to a specific people at a specific time. The new law of grace through Christ is for the entire world and to every person without exception. The law under the Old Covenant was a list of prohibitions and rules given through a beloved servant, Moses. The new law of love and grace came through the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The old law showed man his sinfulness and demanded righteousness. The new law of God's grace through Christ provided righteousness as a gift, not something to be earned. It is undeserved, unmerited favor, and just as it can't be earned, it can't be lost. It is always there for us, no matter the situation or circumstance. Under the law, the unclean would make the clean also unclean. But under grace, Jesus makes the unclean clean. When the leper asked Jesus if he were willing to heal and cleanse him, what was his answer? I am willing, and he did it. That's Christ's message to us every time we come to him. I am willing. When heaven came down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he revealed to us that God is love, and he gave us the new commandment of love. Jesus demonstrated infinite love for the Father and for all creation 
by his sacrifice on the cross. Through his obedience to God, he brought salvation to all. No one is left out or excluded. Jesus told us, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The new law of salvation and grace through Jesus is a freedom that allows us to bring love to every situation and relationship. Using love as a guideline for everything in life encompasses and transcends the fixed rules of the old law. That's why Jesus said that love of God and mankind fulfills the law and the prophets. Wherever you practice love, you are also in complete obedience to the Ten Commandments. If you love God with all your heart, you don't take his name in vain or worship other gods. If you love your neighbor, you won't envy him or steal from him or murder him or deny him forgiveness or wish him to be diminished or compete with him. How did God love us? Was it because we were deserving? Was it because we were so wonderful? No, God loved us while we were undeserving and unlovely. God loved us when we were sinners. Why do you pass judgment on or despise a brother, asked Paul. Who are you to take that upon yourself? Love is relational. Love is not simple obedience to a rule. It means we regard others as more important than ourselves, or at least as important. So when someone sins against us, or shows us disdain, or unfairly accuses us, or is ungrateful, or offends us in any way, God has set the standard. Overlook, ignore, forgive, pray for them. At the same time, let's not confuse love with indulgence. There are times when loving someone involves sharing some hard truths, or discipline, or refusal, or an insistence. Loving in the highest way demands prayer, thinking, analysis, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Especially important to love is forgiveness. It is so important that it is a part of the prayer Jesus gave us. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are to emulate God in our forgiveness. As an act of freedom today and obedience, you could ask the Lord who in your life you need to forgive, or maybe who needs to hear the call from you, I ask your forgiveness. I heard a talk recently where the speaker said that one of the differences between Christians and others is how they position acting and loving. He said that the worldly have to feel love first before they will act it out. Christians, by contrast, are meant to act out love in every situation, whether feeling it or not. And then, and this is the beautiful part, the love becomes real. So when you show someone love you are not truly feeling, you have taken the first step toward actually loving them. This is not hypocritical behavior. It is godly behavior. It is like praying when you don't feel like it because God wants you to, or going to Mass when your heart isn't in it because God wants you to. 
It is a fact that we connect ourselves into feeling. Love is more powerful than everything else. Jesus said we should be known by it. The commandment to love includes yourself. Don't consent to live under condemnation. I don't care what you did or what your past looks like. Self-condemnation makes you unfit to serve and love God and others as you should. You become caught up in yourself, wasting energy and personal resources. The times when you do sin, look away from yourself to the cross and remember what Jesus did there. Self-condemnation is not from God. It is poison. It tethers us to this world. God provided a way out of condemnation. Take it. Repent. Confess. Atone. Accept. That's the gospel message. That's the whole reason Jesus came. It's why God sent us his son. In the words of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, I have a profound compassion for souls that live only for this world, and I wish I could tell them, shake off the yoke that weighs you down. What are you doing with these bonds that chain you to yourself and to things less than yourself? A couple of Sundays ago, the readings were on the topic of unworthiness and how even some very holy men felt unworthy, Isaiah and Paul, both Bible heroes. What about you? Do you feel unworthy of God's love and forgiveness? Do you feel unworthy of God's grace? It can seem too good to be true. Of course, standing in humanity alone, you are unworthy. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But your sinful human self is not what your identity in Christ nor what God sees. He sees that you are worthy because of three things that he has done for you and that they are absolutely truth about you. God created you in the image and likeness of himself. Jesus Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit is within your heart and in your mind. These things make you worthy of God's love just as they are proofs of God's love. The last thing I want to talk about this morning is the third and most important person in our story, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Only he could have so perfectly connected all the dots. Only he could have brought together in time and place one of Christ's followers with someone so ready to become one himself, someone perfectly positioned to spread the good news in his own faraway country. The Holy Spirit often appeared in the Old Testament. He was with men at critical times. He was present at creation. He was present when God called Abraham. He was present in the fiery furnace. He was present as a still, small voice to a fearful Elijah. Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit and had a relationship with him and was led by him. The Holy Spirit was present at the Annunciation and again at Christ's birth and again at Jesus' baptism. If the Holy Spirit was so important in the life of Jesus, how much more so in the life of believers like us? Just as the Ten Commandments were spiritualized into the law of love and universality by Jesus, the role of the Holy Spirit expanded to be more immediate and universal. In the Old Testament, the law was in men's hearts. 
But under the new covenant, the law was supplanted by the Holy Spirit in men's hearts because they are no longer under the law. Jesus also explained his new mission. The Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send, shall teach you all things and bring all things I have said to you to your remembrance. His role in our time is to point us to Jesus Christ and remind us of our salvation, freedom, and holiness and the demands that places on us. The slowly spirit is low key. I've heard him described as a gentleman. We are not always aware of his presence. He never pushes himself or draws attention to himself, even though he's always in our hearts and available. We need the holy help of the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to be, build the body of Christ. When we shove the Holy Spirit out of our way and we rely on our own self-generated efforts, we end up limiting God's work in our lives. He is our greatest ally. How can we become more sensitive to his presence and leading? I would suggest that it isn't something we can make happen in any other way than through seeking a closer relationship with God, through prayer, faith, obedience, studying the word, seeking forgiveness and forgiving, cultivating a true desire to love. The closer we walk with God, the clearer we keep our conscience, the more we trust in the indwelling Holy Spirit of love, the more we will experience him. In closing, I want to share these words of Dorothy Day. The thought came to me of my, of my importance as a daughter of God, daughter of a king, and I felt a sureness of God's love, and at the same time, a conviction that one of the greatest injustices which one can do to God is to distrust his love, not realize his love. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we will realize God's love and that you and I will leave here with a heart better able to understand and embrace it as his beloved daughter. Because the more we understand and accept that love for ourselves, the stronger will become our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the more we'll be empowered to show Christ to those we live with meet and interact with. That is what the world so desperately needs. People need the Lord.